Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome. This is Wacky Wednesday here on the Arrowhead Attic Channel. I'm Adam Best here with the golden voice of Sterling Holmes. And of course, producer Richard doing his thing behind the scenes. The big news is that McCole Harmon has just been traded back to the Chiefs. We'll do a deep dive on that after chatting with a guest who will help us break down this week's opponent, the Los Angeles Chargers. Should be a great show, Sterling. But before we get into all that fun stuff, a little bit of business. Oh, yeah. Everyone listening right now, DraftKings is running a new promotion, and y'all, you don't want to miss this. I've said it before. I'll say it again now. This is the absolute perfect one to sign up for. This one, if I was not already signed up with DraftKings, this is the one I would use. Uh, New users can place a $5 first bet to instantly claim $200 in bonus bets. You will also be rewarded with a separate no-sweat single-game parlay every single day when you opt in. All you have to do is sign up with our code ARROWHEAD. Using our code ARROWHEAD not only gets you these great bonuses, but also directly supporting our podcast. If you've been considering signing up for DraftKings, make sure you use the code ARROWHEAD to maximize your first bets and parlays. Offer is available only to new customers who are 21 plus and physically present in legal gambling states. Please remember to always gamble responsibly and check the episode description for the full terms of the offer to see if you qualify. You're so good at that, man. Just rip it off. Well, it's time to welcome our old friend, here to brief us on all things Chargers, Jason Reed from Boltbeat. Jason, welcome to the show. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. I'm uh, in enemy territory today. I'm a little scared. We'll see what happens. You are brave <laughs> to uh, venture behind enemy lines, especially given the role the Chiefs have, have been on. So we definitely appreciate that. We have six questions for you. So let's crack open that six pack. So after their loss Monday night, the Chargers dipped below 500, despite mm-hmm. having what I think is one of the most talent-rich rosters in the entire league. Is head coach Brandon Staley on the hot seat? In theory, yes. Uh, it's been been kind of rough for Brandon Staley dating back to last year. I mean, 27-0 blown playoff game against the Jacksonville Jaguars. That kind of got the seat pretty warm right there. There was already Sean Payton's rumblings all season, and Charger fans were kind of all ready for change. He ultimately survived that, obviously headed into the 2023 season, started 0-2, rallied back to get to 500, now back under 500. In theory, the seat is warm. The only thing is the Chargers historically don't fire coaches midseason. It hasn't happened any time under Tom Telesco. I believe it's been over two decades since they fired someone midseason. I don't know if it's a money thing. I don't know if it's a... Uh, just believe in your guys thing, but the Chargers never seem to make these changes. So unless, you know, they rattle off seven, eight losses in a row and we're looking at two and 10 and then you suddenly are looking at the draft. I don't see a world in which Staley doesn't finish the season, you know, much to some Charger fans uh, demise. <laughs> where, where do you stand on this? I mean, let's be real now. Brandon Staley was so aggressive early on and then he's gone through periods of where he's just the least aggressive coach. And then he's back to being aggressive at times. It seems like there's no flow to Brandon Staley, no rhyme or reason. What are your thoughts on Brandon Staley? 
I think the aggression has never been the issue with me. I, I've actually welcomed the aggression as a fan. Uh, traditionally, not traditionally, uh, historically, when he's been aggressive with the Chargers, it's actually worked. You go back to his first season, they started four and one, and two or three of their wins were because he was aggressive. He did so against the Chiefs in that season. He did so against the Browns, going for it from his own like 27 when he was down 14 to start the third quarter. So the aggression hasn't been the issue. It's like you kind of alluded to. It's the the flip-flopping. He was so aggressive in his first season. He got so much backlash from the media. He almost did a 180 and was like, hey, I'm going to go back in my shell. And now he's done another 180 this season with the aggression. But ultimately, that's not really what's causing the dismay with Charger fans. It's more of the the bad defense, you know, the bad play on that side of the ball with a defensive head coach. It's kind of the the weird stories that are coming out with J.C. Jackson and other players and how they're not addressing certain needs and the bad draft classes. It's kind of a culmination of a lot of things. And I think for the general NFL fan, they look at the aggression, but that's kind of the one thing Charger fans are just shrugging their shoulders over. You know, it is what it is. Yeah. If you have Justin Herbert, who is definitely a franchise quarterback and this defensive head coach isn't working out, you just have to be chomping at the bit to give Justin Herbert someone who can unlock his potential even more. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And the year that Staley was hired, all, all signs were pointing to Brian Dable being the hire. Uh, he had connections to Tom Telesco uh, previously, you know, their days in college. And it looked like that was going to be the guy at the time. He was the savior of Josh Allen, turn him around. Obviously, a whole nother year went by. He became the New York Giants head coach. And now whatever is happening to the Giants this year, you know, that's a whole nother story. But offensive minded head coach, that's what everyone's been wanting. And that's the only reason I think there's a little bit of a chance that Staley could be let go this year as opposed to last year because they have Kellen Moore. They have a guy they can maybe just elevate straight away and then change the defensive side of the ball. But yeah, you know, if the Chargers fall short, it's it's new head coach time and it's offensive minded head coach time. No more of these defensive minded head coaches. What I found pretty fascinating is at 31 years old, Keenan Allen has been incredible this year. He's top 12 NFL wide in yards per route run. What has been behind his renaissance? I also know heading into that Cowboys game, he was averaging what, like 109 yards per game. I mean, Keenan Allen, he looks refreshed. What's behind this? Yeah, it's it definitely seems like a renaissance, I think, from the outside looking in. Uh, last season, the big thing that kind of derailed him was injuries. You know, he hurt his hamstring the third offensive drive in week one against the Raiders. Had 66 yards with on four catches through the first two or three drives. You know, was lights out. Missed a few games. Came back a little bit early. Hurt the hamstring again. Missed another three weeks. But as soon as he came back, his uh, return game was actually against the Chiefs last year in the 27-30 loss. He was lights out. He had 94 yards in his return game. He ended up finishing with four touchdowns in his last eight games, uh, had averaged, I believe, 70 or 80 yards per game. So Keenan was quietly kind of putting in the work last year as well. And then he's just parlayed it more into this season. I think it 100% has to do with Kellen Moore being the offensive coordinator. There seems to be a realization that, hey, this is your best guy. Let's just lean into him. Let's not try to be cute. Let's get him the ball. And the style of receiver he is, it's going to age well. You know, he's not quick. He's not this burner that's going to burn you downfield. He's a technician. He's a route runner. And as long as he stays healthy, he theoretically should be posting these big numbers. Now, that's always the big question with Keenan Allen, especially over the age of 30, is if he can stay healthy. Well, and the loss of Mike Williams. I mean, that that helped to open up the offense for him. The loss of Mike Williams, don't get me wrong, Joshua Palmer is a fine wide receiver. That ain't Mike Williams. Quentin Johnson's done nothing so far. Um you know, I'm I'm a little shocked that I'm seeing some of the comments right here from Phantom. Can't understand why teams don't just double Allen. He's the only threat they have. Are you shocked there hasn't been more attention paid to Keenan Allen? Yeah, and we've only seen 
we haven't seen much so far. There's only been two full games since Mike Williams got hurt, and we have seen kind of more attention put on Keenan in these games. But, you know, the Chargers design stuff, they clear things out to get Keenan open. So I don't think it's as easy as putting two guys on Keenan and, you know, it working, you know, suddenly being a magic trick. You know, even against the Cowboys this last week, the attention on Keenan opened up things for Josh Palmer. We unfortunately got a, a, a rare stinker from Justin Herbert, and he missed some throws to Palmer and to Keenan. So I think it's a little bit more complex than that. But yeah, in theory, you know, hone in on Keenan because I agree with you. I think Josh Palmer is a fine receiver. I don't like what the team has behind him. So that should be kind of the defensive focus for opposing teams. Well, Kellen Moore has a good scheme, and it seems like he's in the C.D. Lamb role kind of. And Chiefs fans know that a good player like Travis Kelsey or Keenan Allen, it's easier to say just double them than to actually do it and stop them. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Speaking of Justin Herbert, who you just hit on, he's six in EPA per play this year, which is obviously great, but he's not quite playing at an MVP level. What can he do down the stretch to elevate his game further? It's, it's weird with Herbert because Charger fans... Uh, if you say anything negative about him, it's it's kind of like the end of the world. Uh, you know, I think the Chargers fan base and the team as a whole kind of always gets slept on. So when an own Chargers fan says something like Justin Herbert had a bad game on Monday night, you know, they come and they come and attack me as far as, you know, <laughs> Herbert is, you know, concerned individually. I don't know if there's one thing you could point to in his game to necessarily take him to that next level, because when the situation's been good for him, he's been elite. I mean, look at the Minnesota Vikings game from what was that, three weeks ago? He had over 400 yards, completed over 85% of his passes, was the first quarterback to do that in NFL history. That was the Justin Herbert that we know and love that we've seen. The problem is, like Phillip Rivers for two decades, the, the deck's always stacked against him. He had the rib injury last year. This year, he has a freaking broken finger on his non-throwing hand, which doesn't affect you know the, the ability to throw the ball, but you know he couldn't take a snap under center when he hurt his finger in that in the uh, Raiders game. And then it does cause some things. And then you have an offensive line that's been abysmal. The Cowboys were going through them like they were nothing in that game. And then the run game is terrible. So these pass rushers are able to pin their ears back and go after the quarterback. And it's missing Mike Williams. You could tell the offense has been slow to adjust. And then not having a run game, you could just go after Herbert. He's obviously uncomfortable with the finger. And we're getting mediocre performances out of him for two weeks now. So hopefully the tide can turn. But I think it's more of a a collective issue kind of with personnel and and really the lack of a run game, which kind of sounds weird, but I think that's what it is. I got to chime in here on some of these comments. Justin Herbert <laughs> is not Derek Carr. He is <laughs> not even Philip Rivers. He is almost a supernaturally talented uh, quarterback that you would almost construct in a lab. You know, mm-hmm. I think our calibration in Kansas city might be off because we compare everyone to Mahomes, but he is without a shadow of a doubt, top five, top six quarterback in the National Football League. Yeah, but let's be real. He's 500. Don't get me wrong. Quarterback wins wins is not a stat. I get that. But at some point, if you are in today's day and age, this franchise altering quarterback, I love Justin Herbert. And this is why it's so hard for me. Because you look at the talent, and I think he's a top five talent, right? 
but talent doesn't always translate. I don't know what I'm left with here. I don't know what I'm looking at. I'm looking at a great player, but also a guy who in big time moments, he's crumbled. Like, don't get me wrong. He's not the reason they they blew a 29-point lead, but you're telling me he couldn't score one more touchdown to put it out of reach? You couldn't do anything in the second half? At some point, the onus does fall on him. He has to take some blame. I get it. When you are that talented and you are that good, it's easy to point fingers at everyone else, but sometimes you have to look inward. Great players make great plays. Josh Allen, for as much bleep as we give him, he's had some big-time moments. He's made some, t- some, some big-time throws in big-time games. Joe Burrow, same thing. Trevor Lawrence, same thing. Mahomes, obviously. At some point, what has Herbert done? I get it, man. The Chargers are cursed. They've changed quarterbacks. They've changed coaches. They've changed cities. It doesn't matter. They're still chargering. But again, my point here is some point, don't we have to look past the talk of potential and talent and say, all right, come on now. It's time to actually get something done. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think I think a lot of what you're saying is fair. I, I would push back a little bit. My biggest thing with Herbert, and it kind of is that extra little thing that Mahomes has, that extra little thing that Josh Allen has, that extra little thing that Rodgers had in his prime, was the ability to to go on the fly, to play backyard football, for lack of a better term. You know, when the play is broken down, extend the play, make something happen. Herbert's almost so, like he's built in the lab, like Adam said, almost so robotic, where some of these things happen. And we've seen it more this year, him scrambling outside the pocket and whatnot, but some of that backyard football, that extra little juice, he definitely could add to his game, and that would put him on that tier. To push back on the, he hasn't really done much yet, yet his situation's been horrible. I mean, there's, hasn't, there, there isn't a quarterback rival for Charger fans more than Joe Burrow, and I, I'm a big Joe Burrow fan. I followed his LSU season. I tried putting a bet for him to win the Heisman when he was 30-1, to 1, and my friends talked me out of it. I'll never let them win that, live that down. Um, but you look at Burrow's situation, he's always had a top five to 10 defense in the league. You look at his numbers last year, he had similar numbers as Justin Herbert with a broken rib. And he's had these playoff games where he just has to be good enough and the Bengals get by. You look at Charger games and this guy literally has to be perfect. Go back and watch the Raiders game from week 18 in 2020 or 2021, excuse me, where he orchestrated two separate game winning drives and they blow it in the end because Brandon Staley doesn't know how to manage the clock and take a tie to get to the playoffs. Like, the Chargers are built, and the way they design games, it's almost built like, hey, we love our quarterback. We need him to be perfect. He will be perfect. And then if he's not perfect, he loses games. The Jacksonville game, mostly not his fault, but there was a wide-open Keenan Allen touchdown pass in the end zone that he overthrew, and that one mistake lost them the game or was a contributing factor. That's the problem is Justin Herbert can't have one or two mistakes because if he does, this team doesn't know what they're doing, and they snowball. I guess my concern is those mistakes typically always happen when the game's on the line, um, that's my only pushback, man. I, I'm not disagreeing with you. I think he's so talented. Uh, you know, if I'm doing a fantasy draft, he's he's top five. You know, he's a top five pick for me. But again, at some point, I just feel like you have to do something. And, and the lack of showing up in late moments, big time moments, does give me a little bit concern, a little bit of concern. Um, but the Chargers, as we've talked about, defense is atrocious. Two scoops of ass defensively as they are 26th in defensive DVOA. They got some dudes, but let's be real. They've always had dudes defensively and they never seem to put a full defense together why is this happening and is it fixable? Oh, man, I don't know. That's the question Charger fans have been asking for three years now. Um, they have some dudes, you're correct, but they're also very top-heavy. Uh, there's some big names at the top, but then there's not a lot of talent behind those names. 
And it also seems like they're trying to fit a lot of square pegs into round holes with Brandon Staley's defensive scheme. He's a Vic Vangio disciple, loves running cover six, wants things to be as complex as possible because quarterbacks are really good in the NFL and he wants to make someone's life like Patrick Mahomes, you know, harder, you know, with different pre-snap reads and everything. The problem is the players on the defense aren't fit to this this advanced scheme. If you go back to his time with the Rams, the one year as defensive coordinator, he had Jalen Ramsey, he had Aaron Donald. He had a lot of dudes on that defense and they bought into this complex system and the results were great. When it's great, it's great. When it's bad, you get what the Chargers have been the last three years, which is a bottom five defense in the league. So it's weird with the Chargers. It's almost like the more injuries they have on defense, the better they play because the coaching staff is forced to dumb it down for lack of a better term and just kind of instead of trying to be the best defense in the league, they're just trying to be the 15th best defense, which is honestly all they really need. So if it's going to be fixable, they need a wholesale change with the philosophy and what they do. And, you know, some of those dudes, as big as their names are, they haven't been playing well. Joey Bosa has kind of been a nothing burger this year. Derwin James has more personal fouls than impactful plays this year. Like something's got to give. And is it the coaching staff not elevating the players or is it the players giving up on the philosophy? I don't know. Uh, one last thing about Justin Herbert just popped in my head. He's Matt Stafford. He's going to put up big numbers. He's <laughs> a perfect situation to win. So I don't know. Maybe he'll play for Sean McVay in 15 years. Dog, that's nails. That's good <laughs> right there. Yeah, unfortunately. I hate to admit it. I, I like Matt Stafford, though. But I think he's got a little bit more natural talent than that. Maybe Matt Stafford 2.0. Yeah, the evolution of Matt Stafford. Right. <laughs> Who are some X factors from the Chargers roster that Chiefs fans might be sleeping on. Give us someone on both sides of the ball. I'll start with defense since we were just talking defense. Tuli Tuipolotu, the rookie out of USC, has been an absolute dog so far for the Chargers this year. He's sometimes with guys you just know out of the draft. Like this guy's going to be a game wrecker. He's going to be really good. That's Tuli this year. He's been all over the place. They've played him inside. They've played him outside. They're able to be creative with him. They've put him next to Joey Bosa or next to Khalil Mack. Khalil Mack had that big six-sack game against the Raiders. A lot of it was because of Thule and the things he kind of opened up next to him. Um, against the Cowboys, he did kind of have a bad moment biting on the read option that allowed the Dak Prescott touchdown, but that's been his one mistake all year. He he has the potential to be a legitimate game wrecker, and if the Chargers are successful in this game, you know his his DNA is going to be all over it. As far as the defensive side of the ball, look, with Mike Williams hurt, you know, he's kind of the, the Chiefs killer, so it's kind of hard to answer. I guess I'll go with Darius Davis, the fourth-round pick out of TCU, I still don't quite believe in Quinton Johnston, you know, being a difference maker. Darius Davis is kind of their shifty special teams guy. You know, they've they've designed some weird gadget plays for him, some pitches with him being the, the running back, you know, some screen passes. The Chargers, this is a kitchen sink game. They're going to throw everything at the Chiefs. And if they win this game, they'll probably get a big return from Davis and they might get like a big gadget play that sets them up in a red zone opportunity. But besides that, the chief fans are so familiar with the chargers offense. I don't know if there's anyone, you know, slept on, you know, so you could say Davis is kind of your me Cole Hardman. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, the Quentin Johnston draft pick was always perplexing to me. All the folks that I was so glad the chiefs did not trade up to, to, to grab him. And, and again, I'm not nothing against him personally, and hopefully he turns it around for his career and just for his sake. But a guy that disappeared that much in college, it's great when you look at the highlights but every single college player has highlights. What is your average? What's the mean? And he was just so up and down. The separation issue was a concern. He looks the part. Like you look at him at the combine, you look at the numbers, he looks the part. And then you see him on the field. Yeah. Sometimes give me the guy that runs a four, five, nine. Give me the guy who's five foot 11, but actually produces instead of the dude who looks like he's a stud. But in reality, he, he, he 
crumbles, if you will. Um, I don't know your thought on the draft pick, but I thought that was a fascinating one from my perspective. Yeah, uh, Zay Flowers was this isn't hindsight. Like you can go back on bolt beat on my articles. Like Zay flowers was very much the pick that I preferred personally. A lot of charger fans preferred. I thought they were going to pick Jordan Addison just because there was ties with the chargers coaching staff. Uh, Chris Beatty, the chargers wide receiver coach used to coach Addison and recruited him in college when he went to Pitt before he went to USC. Um, but those two guys, it felt like it was one of those two. And then they shocked everyone with Quentin Johnston. Yeah, it's it's I agree with you. It's like it's boomer bust and the Chargers almost just look like what's on paper. Arjun Menon, he was a intern for PFF. He worked a little bit with the Jets. I'm not sure where he is now. He uh, put out a sheet before the draft and it was physical traits. It was just tracking the physical traits of all the first round receivers. And of course, Quentin Johnston matched up with like eight of the nine traits that the Chargers typically target. And that was the pick they made. It was so predictable in hindsight. And we're seeing the results now. It's not great. Is his issue the way he attacks the ball that he just doesn't really have a knack for being a ball winner like some other bigger receivers do? I mean, we've got a similar guy in MVS that is 6'4 that plays like he's, you know, 5'9. Yeah, that's exactly it. If you watched his tape, you know, before the draft, the biggest thing with Quinton was you want him to be like an underneath yak receiver, you know, yards after the catch. You want him to be get the ball quick, make defenders miss. You almost design the offense like he's 5'10", like you said. The problem is the Chargers have just thrust him in like he's Mike Williams, and he's not a good contested catch guy. He led all the first-round receivers with drop percentage in college, and yeah, he he struggles going up and getting the ball, making those physical catches. He struggled in college, and obviously it's tougher in the NFL, so it's a mix of some learning curves for him. I don't think he was supposed to play this big of a role year one, but also the Chargers are kind of misusing him, and it's it's frustrating to see. I uh, do want to give a shout-out to On The Money. Appreciate the super chat there. Says Chiefs were humming last year till McColl went down. We'll be talking about that a little bit later on in the show. Before we let you go here, Jason, mm-hmm. score prediction. What do you have? Do the Bolts steal one against the Chiefs? Look, I hate being negative. I really do. But I have to be realistic with you guys. I have to be realistic about the Chargers. And it's just hard to see a path where they're winning this game. It's going to be a kitchen sink game. You're going to see Brandon Staley go for it on fourth and four from his own 30. It's, it's of course, going to happen in this one because they kind of need this game. But at the end of the day, the Chiefs have a better defense. And that's a problem for the Chargers with the way their offensive line is playing. And, you know, the Chiefs offense isn't as potent as years past. But this Chargers defense is also terrible. So, I think we'll naturally get the the shootout that we always get between the Chiefs and Chargers. And in classic Chargers fashion, time is a flat circle. Justin Herbert will get the ball with down six with two minutes left, and he'll get sacked right away the first two plays, and it'll be over. So I'd probably go Chiefs, unfortunately. I'm thinking something like 31-27 Chiefs. Pains me to say, but... That's what it is. Dog, I'm going to give you a hug right now. I feel so bad. Just the pain in Jason's voice and his eyes right there. That, that dude needs a hug. <laughs> it's painful, man. It's pain. And I'm a Dodger fan, so they just choked in the playoffs. So it's all bad for me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not so much these days, but Chiefs fans were kind of tortured in the 90s. And even with Dick Vermeil, the worst thing to be is good enough to have hope, but not good enough to actually win. That That is kind of... Full football purgatory. Jason, you've been a tremendous guest. I'm sure we'll have you back. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate it, guys. And uh, hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully we upset it. You know, three and three, 500 seasons back on. Let's go. <laughs> It'll be a good game. <laughs> thanks, guys. Uh, Jason's great, man. He's so fun to have on. Uh, a realistic, realistic Chargers fan right there. Jason's great. Make sure you follow him on tweet on Twitter at each your. Don't realist- you mean X? 
And come on, man. Yeah, no one's calling it X. Come on now. You know, I, it kind of feels like this is just another game. The Chargers are are two and three, sub five hundred. We've had their number recently. It's going to be a tough game. They play us tough. I, I think it's really nerve wracking for me personally because Brandon Staley, I truly believe, is on the hot seat, and I think it's hot, hot, hot. I think it's scorching. I think if the Chiefs embarrass the Chargers in this game, he's done. Like I think there actually would be a. I know they don't want to fire him in midseason. I get all that stuff, but if you get embarrassed by three scores against the Chiefs in this one, you drop to where you're currently at. You still have the quarterback of the future there, and you've struggled this much. Dogs getting canned. So everything, and I mean everything, is on the table. You fake punt, fake field goal, onside kick, go for it. As he mentioned, fourth and three from their own thirty. I mean they will do everything possible. Everything possible. Um, the issue is. The Chiefs are just the better team. Spags needs to be ready, though. If they go for it on fourth and six and steal some possessions, you know what I mean? That could even the game. Let's move on to what everybody is probably here for, and that is the Nicole Hardman trade. Caught kind of us, all of us off guard a couple hours ago when the Chiefs traded a sixth round pick to the Jets for a seventh, and McCall Hardman not. I would call it pretty ultra light compensation. They're not probably going to miss that swap. How it's going to be 10 picks. It's going to be a 10 pick swap. Yeah, Let's right, be real. Right. The Chiefs going to be way down there and the Jets are going to be way up there. It's, it's, um, they didn't give up hardly anything. Uh, right. Veach saved money, didn't even sign McCole for the one year four, said, hey, we'll wait. We'll, we'll play the waiting game. Did the same thing with Frank Clark and maybe, maybe hell, maybe Juju's the the third guy to uh, the trifecta to finish this thing off. Um, before I get into all those thoughts, huge shout out to Angry Drunken German. This is an absolutely great question. I think it's the main question, honestly. Uh, thank you for the super chat. Uh, does Hartman challenge Sky for time? Is that whose role he's most going to eat into and hopefully push to improve? And that's my main question here because McCall Hartman, fine wide receiver three. The Chiefs are, their cup overfloweth with wide receiver threes. They already have a struggle to find playing time for dudes to get in a rhythm. Now you add another wide receiver into the mix. Justin Watson, for everyone listening right now, has an elbow contusion, according to Andy Reid, and he will not be placed on IR. He's expected to only miss a game or two. So this is not a long-term solution for Justin Watson, right? That wasn't the reason when they brought McCole Hardman in. The other question is, Richie James, how banged up is he? We've not heard anything from the Richie James front. Okay. Now the question is who's does, who, who's playing time snap count. Does he eat into Justin Ross is having a hard time seeing the field. We all want to see Rasheed Rice get more snaps. Sky Moore has struggled, but has played a ton. Kadarius Tony starting to get healthy and starting to play more snaps. Although of course his toe is banged up yet again. MVS has been, as you've put it very mildly running wind sprints out there. Um, Sky Moore is the obvious answer, but I, I don't see this easy path to playing time for, for McColl. Yeah, let's start with Sky Moore because he's been invisible. And you have to wonder if this is a doomsday scenario for Sky Moore uh, because he does he does play uh, some of those gadget you know, uh, jet sweeps. He does some of that stuff. But the other thing is there's a misconception about the Chiefs receivers. You see it all the time. And people think, well, they don't play the same position. You know, Sky plays in the slot. McColl plays outside. Actually, that's not true. McColl played more in the slot last year at uh, 
than even Juju. He, he when he's out there, he's in the slot half of the time. Sky Moore only plays there 40% of the time. He plays outside 60% of the time. So they move these guys around and it makes it really hard to figure out who he's going to eat into. Uh, my concern is that Rashi Rice, the slot is where he eats and yeah. he looks like our best receiver and he's Correct. in the slot 62.4% of the time. So, uh, and I know people, there's this tendency to want to say McCole Hardman is a deep, you know, speed threat, field stretcher. He can lift the lid. That has just not been his game. He doesn't have the technical savvy to run a lot of routes. He and and uh, Patrick Mahomes have not built chemistry. They don't have a great rapport, except, I mean, even though they were together for four years, it's kind of like MVS. They just can't get on the same page. The other question I have for you is, does this hurt Kadarius Tony's playing time? Or, kind of galaxy-braining this, does it liberate him from the gadget role and allow him to run more big boy routes. Well, that's the whole hope, right? Because yeah. I always said Richie James, that was why I wanted Richie James so bad. It, it allows Kadarius Tony to be the quote unquote actual wide receiver, the leader on this team. He can grow in that regard. We've not seen that part. That's because Tony has been perpetually injured, but he's not really looked very electric when he's been on the field, right? Um we sure hope that this is the case. I, I disagree with Nate here in the chat saying sideways move. This does feel like a sideways move. My other concern here is you bring McCole back. Is this the only move at wide receiver the Chiefs are going to make? Probably. I, again, I, I'm not saying I was all in on, on trying to get Hollywood Brown or, or, or DJ Moore, or, you know, maybe Adam Thielen, who's having a resurgence down there in Carolina. But you were hoping for someone who still moves the needle. And I just don't think McCole Hartman does that. It's nothing against him personally. I think he is an NFL wide receiver. I think he is. But on this team, it just feels like his role is duplicated by so many other guys. And I feel like we look back with these rose-colored glasses of, yeah, well, he's been with Mahomes for years. He knows the playbook. But that was the whole reason why he never got more playing time or exuded more confidence because he never got on the same time, the same plane as Mahomes. And it sure seemed like he didn't know the playbook great. I, yeah. I, I don't get this. And here's a guy who, if you look at his yards per route run, he actually got worse every year in Kansas City. In 2019, it was 1.84. 2020, 1.64. 2021, 1.61. And 2022, 1.49. So the more time he was in Kansas City and got you know exposed to Mahomes and that playbook and got to soak it up, he didn't improve. He didn't improve. And now you have this mysterious core injury. Is he even the same player that he was before last year? I mean, that's a really good question. I would assume. Um, let's hope. Let's hope. But, but I mean, there's a reason why his contract was what it was. We all assumed it would be a larger, um, little larger amount of money, maybe a couple of years, not a one year four. And then not only that, a swap of sixth and seventh with the team who's obviously very good in Kansas City. So that's a very, very poor swap. It's going to be about a 10 spot difference. You're telling me no other team was willing to do a little bit more with that. You know, the, the question's out on McCall Harmon because I thought there were going to be some teams that would offer a little bit more than this. 
I don't know if that makes me a little bit more concerned or if the Jets were trying to do do right by him, saying, hey, I know we thought you were going to have Aaron Rodgers. I know we thought you were going to be playing a little bit more. That's not been the case. We'll, we'll send you back to a team that you want to play for. That could also be the case as well. I just kind of feel like the league has spoken with that contract. Now, I know that following the kind of Christian Kirk contract and some other things that happened with Devontae Adams and A.J. Brown and Tyreek Hill, the owners and front offices of the NFL were very cognizant of that wide receiver market getting out of hand. So I think there was a kind of a league-wide initiative to drive down wide receiver prices. That's why Jacoby Myers, who's very good, got kind of low-balled. Juju Smith-Schuster coming off a good season with the Chiefs. He also got low-balled, and I think some of that was because of health. But I think my hope here is that, I don't know how, but they move these guys around. So MVS has seven receptions, seven receptions on a team leading 182 routes. He is just jogging out there. We cannot have that. My worry about MVS is at 29 years old, I think he's 29. Has he lost a step? Because a player like that, if he even loses 10 or 20% of his juice, it's over, man. It's over. And, And here's a guy that has, lucked into playing with maybe the the two most talented quarterbacks to, to ever exist, right? So uh, I'm just not that high in MVS at this point. Uh, and I'm sort of frustrated that this move is happening because I feel with Frank coming in, and we'll get to Frank here in a second, for a physical tomorrow, I kind of feel like they are dollar-storing their mid-season roster adjustments. And I, I just don't like the we're getting the band back together. It never seems to work. It didn't work in 2020. I'm just not a very big fan of it. And I'm frustrated with this kind of tendency, this West Coast offense tendency that Andy Reid has to favor these very kind of specific specialist receivers who are, are good at one or two things, but he doesn't seem to like the, the all-purpose you know, tool, the, the screwdriver, the pliers, the hammer, every, everything in one. Uh, he likes to switch these guys around and use them for certain packages, I would say more than any other coach in the league. And it is hard to nitpick from our vantage point, the great Andy Reed. But when 31 coaches are doing something basically different than him, I think it's fair game to criticize him. Uh, I see a good comment here. I want to get to before I move on says from BL right here. I feel like the team underestimated how hard it is to execute those trick plays, jet sweeps, gadget plays. This should help our red zone efficiency. The chiefs have struggled in the red zone. Uh, McCall Hardman actually was pretty effective in the red zone in his tenure here back in Kansas city. I wonder if this is more of just a red zone move. It's weird to say McCall Hardman, a smaller guy as a red zone threat. You know, typically you think of these bigger bodied guys, right? You think of dudes who can go up and get it uh, two different ways here and McCole Harmon does it a little differently I wonder if this does actually improve the red zone efficiency and again the questions asking about is Watson on IR no again according to Andy Reid earlier today that was about 11 o'clock he spoke to the media Justin Watson said elbow contusion uh, elbow contusion won't practice but it's not a candidate for IR and will be back before then so that's the update I have in regards to Justin Watson you know what I would like to see Let's borrow a little bit from Mike McDaniel. McColl has elite speed, one of the fastest players in the league, and get him moving in some really creative ways pre-snap. Get him in motion, get him the ball in space. That's what I'd really like to see 
with McCall Hardman because in some ways, you know, Kadarius Tony is shifty, but he does not have the straight ahead speed that McCall Hardman has. That is world-class track speed. Yeah. I, Darius Hayward Bay had it too. John Ross had it as well. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, again, I like McCall Hardman. He's, he's a really good dude. I'm not saying he's not an NFL wide receiver. I just don't think he moves the needle. And again, I could be completely wrong. I see people saying that we're both wrong. Um, we that's might fine. be, but everyone has their own, their own thoughts and own opinions. These are just ours. I, I, I like McCall Hardman. I, I just, it does not move the needle for me. I have to see it because we saw it for four years and what we saw for four years, if that's the same guy coming back here, do we all of a sudden think he got better? He had one reception for six yards in five games for the Jets. They were playing Randall Cobb ahead of him. Now I know that's Rogers guy, but Rogers wasn't even playing. He wasn't even there for, for a lot of that. So uh, the big worry here, this will kind of be my final thought on the matter is that this wide receiver room that was already too crowded with just a bunch of guys who are kind of not breaking through just got more crowded. And I just really hope that Rasheed Rice, who feels like he's about to burst through and become a big playmaker for this team, I just hope this doesn't keep him from from earning a a bigger snap share. Yeah. Now, the other news of the day is that Frank Clark, who's been back in Kansas City, is going to take a physical tomorrow with the Chiefs. 6'10's Carrington Harrison reported this. What are your thoughts, Sterling? Not surprising by any means. Um it's fine. Playoff Frank Clark's a real thing. So sign me up for playoff Frank. Obviously, he wanted out of Denver. Uh, that was very apparent when he took a pay cut and he was still like, no, nah, I still want out, guys. I, I don't care. Get me out of here. Release me. I don't care if you trade me. I want out. This is brutal. Um, if you ask me right now, is he going to play a snap for the Chiefs before the season ends? I would 100% say yes. I'm fully on board with that now. Um, I don't think, again, he's this huge moodle, uh, needle mover. Again, we always look back with such fond memory what they did here uh he was not the most consistent player that much we know not the most reliable player some of that was the stomach issues but end of the day he showed up in big moments uh, i think the chiefs would be able to practice squad him a guy who clearly wants to be on the chiefs a guy who clearly wants to be on a winner that to me screams all right i will bide my time here until the attrition of a season comes to fruition that means then i will get called up that seems like to the, the most likely scenario right here malik herring uh, i understand you can probably make a case he's the guy gone uh, but charles minahu is obviously coming off of the uh suspended list this week so you have to find a spot there is it neil farrell is it going to be um you know a different position group entirely that remains to be seen. Um, but I do think Frank Clark eventually will play a snap for the Chiefs before season to end, before season's end. I just think it, don't think it happens before like week 10, week 11. Gotcha. Well, it is Charles Aminihu week for all of you who celebrate. I definitely do. I'm excited about that. But let's look at what Frank Clark has done so far this season. His pass rush win rate is 4.2% on 30 pass rush snaps. Very limited sample size. They never really got him integrated into that Broncos defense, that terrible defense so far. And that percentage is about the same as FAU and Malik Herring. So I know he was an effective closer in the playoffs. He almost always is. There are two things here, though. One, he's accustomed to the superstar treatment here in Kansas City. Can that toothpaste go back in the tube? I'm not sure it can. The other thing is, I don't really want to slow down FAU's development. I don't want to slow down George Karloftis' development. Also, uh, 
Charles Aminahue, I think, is going to be the second-best defensive lineman on this line. I want him playing a lot of snaps, terrorizing the opposition. I want to get our money's worth out of him because we've already missed six games, right? So, uh, again, it just kind of feels like they are going back to what they're comfortable with and sort of bargain basementing their 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 midseason, right? I, I've come around a little bit to the Frank Clark signing. Uh, I like what James says. Clark is a glue guy. It probably will be great for the young guys in the locker room. Uh, FAU probably grew up watching this guy, right? FAU was a Chiefs fan growing up. He probably watched a little of, uh, of Frank Clark. Um, it's just a depth move. It's just a depth move. There's a reason why it seems like, to me at least, again, I'm, I'm, I'm projecting here a little bit, obviously, mm-hmm. but it seems like a guy who takes a pay cut, now understands and doesn't get traded for, now understands his role and his situation in the NFL. He's only 30 years old, but there's a reason why no one traded for him, even with the massive pay cut that he He's took. an old 30, though. That body has a lot of wear and tear on it, I think. So my point here is I think he's going to be welcoming a more rotational, a lesser role. You're now the, hey, young guys look to him, but you're not playing a ton. You know, he's going to be there if an injury arises. Uh, he'll probably take some snaps away from Malik Herring, which I don't have a huge issue with, uh, even if Malik Herring's still going to be on the on the roster with Charles Aminahu coming back. That, again, remains to be seen. Um, Andy Reid loves his, his the dudes in the trenches. He likes to have a, a plethora, a bevy of talent of guys to throw there. Uh, I will say Mike Dana actually is playing the most snaps of anyone on the Chiefs defense right now. Did this with, with uh, Briscoe, 79%. Mike Dana's playing. And I'm not saying Mike Dana doesn't deserve to play a lot, but I'm saying that is a ton of snaps for a guy on the defensive line. Chris Jones is playing somewhere around 53% so far as he's ramping back up. Uh, Carl Loftus is around 77%. Obviously, Derek Nottie has been very solid this year as well. But the point is, they might be even more effective in a fewer amount of snaps. That is, again, a ton for these big bodies, guys, for these big body guys. Very easy to get winded. I think any amount of help at this point is probably a good thing. If he comes back and knows he's an elder statesman, kind of in a quasi-ceremonial role, just knowing that he's only going to get 10, 12 snaps a game, but with his know-how and and ability to close on the quarterback, that could come in handy. And this is hard for us who are kind of outside looking in, who aren't part of the franchise – the inner workings of the locker room and whatnot are a bit of a black box, but we've heard it enough to know that Frank Clark is kind of this team's wartime consigliere. Like he gets these guys fired up. He is a leader uh, for that defense. And uh, I, I don't know. On one hand, it's like nobody in the league wants this guy, very similar to McColl. And on the other hand, it's like, well, he f- he's fit in very well here. And if he doesn't cost a lot, and he doesn't slow down the development of our guys, and he keeps the defensive line healthy, I can see that side too. Yeah. Um, also, Chris Jones loves him. Well, As you will, there is a, a small something there. You, you keep your dudes happy. You keep your best players happy. Aaron Rodgers wanted Randall Cobb. He wouldn't be on the, on the, on the Jets unless Aaron Rodgers said something. Giannis Antetokounmpo 
maybe I'm wrong here, but his brothers, they, they play some a little bit in the NBA because it's you want to keep Giannis happy. You keep your best players happy. Is Bronny going to be playing with LeBron here pretty soon? I, hell, it's possible. But it, yeah. there is a little bit something to keeping your core guys, your elite players happy. If this well, helps keep CJ at 95 happy. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe Nicole is uh, kind of the same thing with Patrick Mahomes. That kind of is a head scratcher to me because they never seem to to kind of get on the same page. But there's a reason both these guys are probably coming back. We know one of them is Frank Clark. I don't know if I'd put 100% on it like you did, but it's looking increasingly more likely. Let's finish up with some hot take kingdom. You ready to final, do this? F- final thing. Okay. Regular, regular season Frank Clark, I don't, I don't really care about. But you're telling me you're seeing Frank Clark lining up in the playoffs. And you're not going to get a little uh, extra adrenaline rush. Your body's not going to all of a sudden say, look at him. The shark smells blood. You're a liar if you don't think that. That, to me, is worth it for, for that alone. This is a guy who's chasing records now. He's third all-time in postseason sacks. G- give me playoff Frank Clark. That's all I care about. That's crazy to me. If he's the all-time playoff sack leader, uh, I'm trying to think of someone who is that much better in the postseason than the regular season across any sport, maybe Madison maybe Bumgarner, Reggie Miller, you know, like I'm trying to think of a, a comp for him. Madison Bumgarner. Okay. He was good with the Giants. Don't get me wrong, but that playoff run he had was, it was magical and it hurt. Hot take kingdom. You want to do this? Let's do it, baby. So this week's hot take kingdom is Joe Tooney is the best guard in football. Welcome to the kingdom. Unlike Creed Humphrey, Joe has a boring name. Tooney isn't a bar barroom brawler like Trey Smith. He's not getting all the all the viral Twitter clips, right? He isn't discussed incessantly like Juwan Taylor. Tooney's just a consistent technician who puts his head down and dominates, and without much flash, I would say. Because of all that, I think he falls through the cla- the, the cracks. It feels like there are fifteen Chiefs. Seriously, 15 or so more Chiefs who get more love and pub than Tooney. And that's insane because he's performing like the very best guard in the game. Tooney leads all centers, guards, and tackles in ESPN's pass block win rate for the season. Every offensive lineman, he's the best. 99%. Unreal. Over the past two weeks, he leads all centers, guards, and tackles in PFF pass blocking grade. And again, in Kansas City, when you are protecting the franchise, number 15, pass blocking is what matters, but he's no slouch in the run game either. What's fascinating to me is it only took him a month to adjust to playing next to Donovan Smith. It's a really fast adjustment to playing next to a left tackle who at his best is competent, maybe slightly above competent, but I think has been struggling. So Tooney is the reason the Chiefs can get by with paying a left tackle $3 million and not pay severely for it. Putting that on the friendly Cyborg's plate, he's cool with it. He can totally handle it. The only other guard who I really think has an argument, especially if you look at historically, but he had a down season last year, is Quentin Nelson. And I think that's even a stretch when you look, when you look at the underlying metrics, the grading, all of that. I think Joe Tooney, especially these past two or three weeks, 
now that they've gotten a little bit more continuity, just looks like the best guard in the game. I've said this before, but I still think it's true. Tooney is the fourth most important player in this team. We saw it last year when Orlando Brown Jr. went down. He was terrible without his anchor next to him. All the Jarek McKinnon chipping in the world could not save OBJ that game. And the fact that he can perform at left tackle in a pinch, that's also a huge bonus. That's all I've got to say. I just think that we don't talk about Joe Tooney enough. He's a really special player. He's probably the best free agent move Brett Veach has ever made. And this guy just doesn't, I would not just say the national media, but the kingdom and Kansas City media too. We just do not talk about Joe Tooney enough. So Sterling, you've heard my case. Are you coming into the castle or are you staying outside the walls? This was really, really tough for me. Because I love Joe Tooney. He's an iron man. He's a badass. And you're right. I think he's the most underrated guard in football. That much I'll get behind with the most underrated guard in football. But the best is tough. You mentioned Quentin Nelson, and I almost scratched him off. And I think I will because he's been so good for so long. But last year was such a down year. And is that just an aberration or was that the new norm for him for a guy getting older? That remains to be seen. Uh, the culture, obviously, not a great team. They have a lot of issues I don't know. But Joel Batonio for the Browns is – he's unreal, man. He's been doing this a long time. Joel B for the Browns I, I think has a really good case. Zach Martin for the Cowboys has a phenomenal case. And then the other guy, uh, Chris Lindstrom, another underrated guy for the Falcons. Uh, Chris Lindstrom I think was actually PFF's number one ranked guard last year overall. He matches with the eye test as well, but no one watches Falcons football, so no one really cares. But I do want to give a shout to Chris Lindstrom because he's a complete guard as well. It's tough, man. Um, Top three, I'm all in. Yeah, and I'll mention too that even on Zach Martin's own team, Tyler Smith might be better this year. There's a lot of good guards out there. Wyatt Teller is playing almost as well as Joe Petonio, uh, Brandon Scherf from Jacksonville. There's there's just a huge list, but man, Joe Tooney. I know. It, it does speak to how good he is because he's in the guys, he's in the category of the dudes who are always up for all pro. He's in the category of game-changing guards. And how often can you say that about a guard? A game-changing guard. But he really is. Um, I don't quite know if I can go in with you because I think he's top three. And I, I feel like I'm, I'm almost being a homer to an extent. Like, I feel like part of me is almost being a little bit of a homer if I say he's clear cut the best guard in football. But he is tied with Chris Lindstrom, Zach Martin, Joel, Joel B, baby, and Quentin Nelson. I think he's, uh, he, he's tied with the top of the top. <clears throat> cop out, cop out. Yeah, I know. I'm sitting on a fence. It hurts. But I, I also don't want to – I try and pride myself on not being a homer. Well, when you was, see me watch the games, yeah. I'm a bleeping homer, man. You, right. you don't see me anything even close. I'm out here just yelling. It could be a, a, a bad call, but I'm still saying, no, that's the, that's the right move. That's the right move right here. But when I'm trying to break stuff down, I try and be objective here. Yeah, well, it is hot take kingdom, not mild take kingdom, as I always say. I don't know, man. The numbers really back him up. He's his pass uh, block win rate, best in football. I mean, that's better than Laramie Tunsil right now. Yeah. That's pr- that's pretty impressive. Uh, now, in the run game, yeah. is he the best run blocking guard 
No, but it, it depends on what you care about. Personally, for this team, this quarterback, this coach, I think pass blocking is two to three times more important than run blocking. I so, will say he's the best pass blocking guard in the NFL. There you that, go. That We're, I will grant you. And on this team, you're right. It matters more than anything else. How about this? He's the best guard for the Kansas City Chiefs. It makes the most sense. The I best like, pass like blocking that. guard on a team that passes more than anyone else. That and, makes the most sense. And on a team that has kind of a weak left tackle, uh, his versatility, we've seen him do it before. Now, you don't want him playing there all the time for various reasons. But I think that versatility also helps him. Just wanted to spend a day kind of singing his praises and, and celebrating Joe Tooney because he kind of gets lost in the shuffle. We get excited about Trent McDuffie, Rasheed Rice. We've got the three superstars. We've got Andy Reid trying to be the GOAT. And and and, and then Creed, Creed and and uh, Trey Smith have this like stepbrothers thing going on that everyone just eats up because they're kind of this eccentric buddy movie that's unfolding right before our eyes. So I just think poor Tooney kind of gets – Kind of gets lost in the shuffle, and it was time to show him some love. Yeah, man, I I'm just a um, a massive fan of Joe Tooney. I had so many questions when Veach went out and got him. Paying a guard that much money was concerning. It, honestly, I was concerned. I go, I don't care how good you are. I don't know how you live up as a guard to that contract, and he has. That has been impressive. Yeah, that's not the offensive line contract I'm worried about currently. No, John Taylor. You, you was said, concerned? Who was concerned uh, by Jawan Taylor? Yeah, I was you, told that I was a buffoon. You called it up. But six games in, still a young tackle. At this time last year, the sky was falling because of how Andrew Wiley and OBJ were performing. Uh, Andy Heck and the coaching staff got that cleaned up, and they were rolling to the point in the Super Bowl, that dominant Eagles defense that just racked up sacks like hotcakes in the regular season, pitched a shutout. It was really impressive. And I think a lot of that is because – of those three in the middle and and Andy Heck and Andy Reid, things are going to get easier for Jawan Taylor. I, I have to say that the adjustments he's had to make to his play style because he's been kind of a marked man by NFL officials, that's probably gotten his head a little bit and disrupted his technique. 100%. I, I, the mental side is going to be just as impactful as the physical side of where, in, you're, where to line up because let's be real, he is fast enough and quick enough and smooth enough at right tackle. He does not have to line that line up that far back. That was just a comfort thing for him. He is too talented. He does not need to do that. Some guys who are a little slower, um, you know, like Orlando Brown Jr., I mean, this is not trying to take a knock on him personally. This is not what I'm trying to do. But a guy who's a little bit slower, right? You need all the help you can get. Juwan Taylor, when you were that quick as a right tackle, come on, you don't have to do it. But when you've been doing that, as he mentioned, for four plus years down there in Jacksonville, no one said a word. And now all of a sudden you have to switch. The mental side is just as big as the physical side. Talk with Tim Grunard. We always talk about it. You know, it, it separates the great from the good, the good from the okay, and the okay from not making a team at all. The mental side. If you think, if you're just a, a millisecond, half a second, you're thinking about what you're going to do. That is too late. You're getting beat. You can't be thinking. You just have to do. And that's what Jawan Taylor's doing right now. He's trying to think, and that's hurting him. Man, I had such high hopes for him. Uh, I'm trying to be patient, but I'm also recalibrating a little bit. You look at him and you think, here's this dancing bear, this wad of clay that the Andes are going to mold into a special right tackle, maybe a top three, top five right tackle. 
And that just hasn't transpired so far, far, but in the, over the course of his contract, this is still very, very early. So I'm not slapping the panic button yet. Are you? No, 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 no. If, if it's a staples, that was easy button right here. And it says slap because it says panic. I'm, I'm not doing it yet. I, I, I'm close. I'm here. I'm sitting here saying, all right, monetarily, what could the Chiefs have gotten? What could they have done differently with all of that money? I'm here, but I ain't slapping it. I ain't slapping. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm looking back and forth. Yeah. The reallocation of money game is, is always a tough one to play, but uh, I still think his, his feet, he's very quick. And I, I always said that Orlando Brown Jr. Uh, for all his strengths kind of had cinder block feet. I think it is a better fit for Patrick Mahomes who really holds onto the ball top five, top six longest. Now he doesn't take sacks, but he does hold on to the ball. So you want someone who can move a little bit. And that just wasn't Orlando Brown Jr. Theoretically, he's a much better fit for Joe Burrow. I know that's kind of been a little rocky, but I think we should probably give him some time too. Offensive line is all about uh, continuity, right? And it's a it's kind of a weak link system too. So we got to give these things some time. Speaking of time, that does it for today's show. Big props to our chat. We appreciate you guys. Thanks for being active. Thanks for the super chats. They really help. Before you roll out, do us a favor by liking this video, mash that like button. And if you haven't subscribed, what are you doing? We're trying to bring you a ton of content, keep you up to date on the Chiefs. And if you're an audio listener, this is really important. Go over to uh, Apple Podcast and consider giving us a five-star rating. That will help us reach more Chiefs fans. But we will be back next Wednesday at 4.30 p.m. Central right here on the Arrowhead Attic channel. Until then, beat the Chargers and go Chiefs. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.